Let me encourage you, be in prayer uh, next week. Next week, we talk about three miracles, uh, miracles that related to salvation. And there'll be thousands here on campus uh, in all areas. Right now, we have, uh, I don't know how many, a hundred and something over in the other building doing uh, membership classes now as, uh, as we speak. So it's all exciting about what uh, God is doing. Um, <clears throat> you've heard the word substitute. Substitute, of course, when you go to the grocery store, you can see a lot of substitute. There's substitute sugar. How many of you believe that a substitute sugar is as good as just plain old sugar? May I, may I see your... How many of you agree that sugar is sugar? That's right. It's good. I believe it with all of my heart. Sugar, though I use substitute. Then there's substitute mashed potatoes. Have you tried them? Substitute mashed potatoes. Nothing takes the place of a good Idaho potato boiled so that it's not boiled too much, mashed with cream in it and butter, salt and pepper, and beat with a mixer lightly. And put a dab of gravy on it. <laughs> Nothing like it. Sean, do you eat that kind of stuff? You, you're not allowed to eat that, are you? Nothing like that. Substitute beef patties. If you ever see one run, <laughs> it's probably from, from some squirrel in Venezuela. Substitute beef? It's not going to work. How many of you remember when you had a substitute teacher in school? You know, you might say, I don't like my teacher, and thank God they sent the substitutes in, because if you were, you know, middle school, high school, you'd say, Lord, that substitute teacher, she's fresh out of college, and she looks fine, man. That old teacher can, you know, never come back. Or, or you might really like your regular teacher better than you do a substitute teacher. The problem with substitute teachers, from my perspective, is you could always get away with a whole lot more with a substitute, you know, than you could your regular teacher. Um, forgiveness was the first message. Father, forgive them for they, they know not what they're doing. That was forgiveness. Then we had the one assurance, um, you know, I assure you this day you're going to be with me in paradise. Then we did love Love was uh, where Jesus looked down at his best friend, uh, the disciples, and his mother Mary, and he expressed that love to her. Uh, today, we find Jesus on the cross in Matthew 27, verse 45. It said, at noon, this is the key text, the foundation, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll tell you why Jesus said that later on in this message. The Greek word for darkness is obscurity. It means the clouds were so dark it covered the sun and it became dark. And we know that the top of his lungs at that time Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken means you've been deserted, you've been rejected, you've been abandoned. Some of you know what that's like to be abandoned. 
I uh, saw a video, a Walmart security video, where a man rolled a small baby in a shopping cart of Walmart, rolled that uh, shopping cart in, put it in the middle of the aisle, turned and walked away and left the baby there alone. Of course, it was turned over to foster care. In other words, that dad literally just for some reason or another abandoned that baby. If you've ever been abandoned once, my friend, you know that feeling is not a feeling that you ever want. But that's what Adam and Eve did for us. You know, Adam and Eve abandoned us. They actually committed sin. And as a result of that, the perfect opportunity that we had in our future was abandoned. The law of sin, of course, captivated them because they rejected God's truth and God's way. And in fact, at that point, we were without any hope whatsoever. But there had to be a substitute for that abandonment. The penalty had to be paid for sin. Adam and Eve, that sin moved through. Of course, they would put a spotless lamb up there, but the time came when a spotless lamb, all that would do was reconcile the religious ritual that those in the Old Testament went through, bringing pleasure to God, bringing worship to God, acknowledging Him. But that spotless lamb could not deal with death. And uh, when it came time for death to be dealt with, someone had to stand in our place. So 1 John 2 says, He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Atoning sacrifice. The word atonement means I pay the price for something that I have done. If I wreck somebody else's car, I've got to pay the price. That is atonement. I have paid the penalty, paid the price, and received favor. In other words, it is my compensation for a crime. The Word says this, that He, being Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, remember, but the whole world. 2 Corinthians 5, 2, Paul says that God took the sinless Christ, poured into Him our sins, then in exchange, He poured God's goodness into us. So I want to talk about the holiness of God. Be ye holy as I am holy, is what the Bible says. The seriousness of sin and what it cost. My God, why have you forsaken me? Number one, God is holy. Would you say that with me? God is holy. Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Three times he uses the word holy. I want to tell you that in my life, if somebody said something to you three times, I would think they mean business, wouldn't you? I would think they're trying to get my attention. So we find that the Romans and the Greeks both had their own gods. You had the god mythology. You had Zeus, Jupiter, Venus, and others. It didn't really matter, but they were imperfect gods. They were gods that, of course, was arrogant. They were arrogant. They were moody, all kinds of challenges. They were imperfect gods, and yet they worshiped the imperfect God. But there's only one true God, and His name is Jehovah God, Jesus Christ, who created the entire universe. Here's the thing about Jesus, God and the Holy Spirit. They are absolutely pure, uncorrupted, and incorruptible. And no imperfect God should ever be worshipped by anyone, but the perfect God is due worship, and His name is Jesus. God hates evil. Now, you might say, I'm not a holy person. 
Well, now, let's talk about that. You know, if, if you have repented and Jesus Christ resides in you, guess what? There is a Holy Spirit that resides in you. There is that spirit man that is holy. Here's the problem. We forget that sometimes. We invite unholy thoughts into our mind that should be sanctified and holy. And so we know that the Bible says that God hates evil. Here's what Habakkuk says out of the Old Testament. Your eyes, Lord, are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. If you write that scripture down, you will then know why Jesus cried, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is right here because, Lord, you are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrong. Why? Because no sin can come into heaven. There is nothing that is an equivalent to sin that comes into heaven. There is no imperfection that comes into heaven. There is no crippled people. There are no blind people. There are no diseased people. There are no sad people. There are no weeping people to the degree because heaven is a perfect place. And when we die, we receive that wonderful glorified body and go to a place that where God is is seated and you and I become, we become the people of Almighty God in a holy place. Every sin known to man or that man has ever done, ever imagined, hung on the cross. It was there. You read the scripture. I read it to you where God allowed my sin to be poured in to Jesus. Everything that has ever been committed, the failure of Adam and Eve, listen, even the sin, if it were to ask forgiveness, how bad is sin? Take a look at Assyria and you'll see a maniac, crazed, demonic dictator who can take gas and give an order to in fact annihilate small infant babies by gassing them and watch their body. That is sin, that is evil, that is hatred, that is the manifestation of darkness in action. And even if that crazed dictator were to bow his hand and knee and seriously to Jehovah God and ask for forgiveness, guess what? God would forgive. Why? Because Jesus died to forgive. You're going to learn some things that's going to prick your heart through the dialogue of this message. He doesn't call him Father. He had called Jehovah Father twice on the cross and other times, but not now. He said, my God, my God. Why? In that moment, our heavenly Father, which turned away because he's pure and could not look upon it, looked away at that moment the relationship between Jehovah God and Jesus was broken. Why? Because Jesus became the vessel where sin was poured in. And you see it on the cross. Jesus at that point felt the aloneness of what it meant to carry your sin that's nailed to the cross. He could have come from the cross, off the cross. He could have called 10,000 angels, 
but he hung there willingly. They did not take his life. He gave his life so that you and I could have the liberty of knowing what it means when we say, I am redeemed, I am born again, because Jesus Christ, my Savior, took my sins, and he's still taking your sins today. Come on, put your hands together. Sin is ugly. Sin is ugly, but a lot of culture don't believe that. We enjoy watching ugly. We enjoy watching sin, unfortunately, many in our culture. It's in books and movies and magazines. You go to the awards program and you, you see awards programs that, that come on and you see the disdain for God, disdain for what's considered to be a core family value, etc. And they dress it up so it looks really, really good. Sin looks good for a season, but that season ends, my friend, before you know it. It's ugly. And some people think it's funny, major comedians today who get on television or radio or offer their wares and DVDs or CDs or online or whatever it is, make, make nasty statements about God, talk about unruthless things that, that no person should have to hear in order to get us laugh. That's nothing more than the power of the enemy and Satan's strategy. I must hate sin. I must hate it. I don't want to live with it. I don't want to welcome it in. And you never see the consequences of sin. You don't know what it is to have someone who, who may have, like Melina Price, who, who died a number of years ago, and her, her death anniversary just recently passed, I guess, in which I received a call Sunday night. Melina, of course, husband had died as they were missionaries in Israel about two months before that. She lost her husband. They were newlyweds. She came home. She was speaking at a church over in Winter Haven, coming back from Winter Haven to Auburndale. A drunk driver crossed the center line, hit her car, and killed her instantly. They called. I opened the body bag to identify her body. I saw close up what sin looks like when a person decides to drink or own drugs and gets in a vehicle and says, I'm going to go out and not in control of my senses. That is the power of sin, my friend. It is ugly then why should I, as a believer, a redeemed person, flirt with that kind of deceit and that kind of ugly? Why should I flirt with the powers of darkness? Sin alienates. It alienates. It separates us from God. When Jesus took the sins of the world, he felt separated from the Father. Why have you forsaken me? It breaks the relationship. It creates conflict. Isaiah 59 says, your evil has separated you from your God and your sins have caused him to turn away from you. Your intimacy is broken. Those of you, how many of you are married? May I see your hand? Just checking, looking around to see everybody got there. How many of you, come on now, help me out. How many are happily married? May I see your hand? Yeah, a few, few less of you then. How many of you men know when your little woman, I, I say that because it only aggravates a few of you. It's not disrespect for women. I'd say, how many of you know when your special wife is upset? How many of you know that she didn't have to tell you? You know that? She doesn't have, how many of you know, men, be a man, man up right now. You, you don't, she doesn't have to tell you when she's upset, you know it. 
because you're so in love with her. And you're dead. If she's upset, you know it. What's for dinner? Nothing. (laughs) How about a little kiss? Kiss yourself. (laughs) Well, I tried that once and it didn't work. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And you know what we do? Because we're lugheads. We we take the bait. What's wrong? How many of you know what the answer is? Well, if you don't know, if you don't know, I don't need to tell you. Somebody said, you sound like you know how that is. I read a lot. (laughs) You know. Well, what did I do this time? Well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. It's too bad. You see, there's just no, you, you know she's upset. It's not like that she's going to come to you. Now, some of you ladies are so saintly that when you're upset, the minute he gets home, you say, my heart is aching, darling, because this morning when you left, you may not have even understood it or know that you did it, but it pinged my heart when you slammed the door when you left and you forgot to give me some sugar. Well, baby, we got five pounds of it in the cabinet. (laughs) But I just want you to know that I was hurt, and all day long I've wrestled with it. I started to call you at work several times, but I just want you to know, please forgive me for letting you upset me that way. (laughs) Come give me some sugar. What planet do you live on? (laughs) If you have a wife like that, Pinch her. She's an alien. (laughs) Isn't that right, Bobby? But listen, you know when God has a right to be upset with you. You don't have to ask him. If that spirit man is in you, you know, uh uh-oh, Big Jehovah is not happy. Why? Because sin distresses. What do I mean by that? It distresses and puts stress on you. Do you know that you were not you were created by the pattern and the mold that God desired for you to have in the beginning? And that mold was created not to have to deal with sin not to have to deal with stress. That's why your body reacts to stress and difficulty the way that it does, because it was not created to carry that kind of burden called the power of sin. You were not made to live in conflict. God didn't create us to live in conflict in stressful circumstances. The power of sin causes you to worry. 
It causes you to fear, causes you to doubt, causes you to allow bitterness to rule you. It causes guilt, it causes resentment, shame, loneliness, insecurity, low self-esteem. I could, I could go on and on and on. If you experience those things, it's because you've allowed that sin to just manifest itself in your life. And that's what, that's what God is able to bring forgiveness and deliverance for. When God redeems you, when he redeems you, he rids you of those very things that creates that stress unless you go back and pick it up again. And to pick it up again, you have to give yourself permission to pick it up. My guilt, David said, has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. So God said, you don't have to carry that. You want to know why people try to bring peace to their troubled heart in so many other ways. They try to drown it in material possessions, try to drown it with, with alcohol or drugs or so many other things in order to bring compromise and peace. And yet the only thing that can bring true peace is Jesus Christ. Sin condemns. Jesus was stressed on the cross, alienated and condemned while he was on the cross. Why? Because the sin of the world was being poured into him. You violate God's law, the, conscious, the conscience is there. We feel that conviction that comes. The Bible says God is a righteous judge and he always condemns the wicked. What does righteous? It means right wise, right living. God is always right. He's truth. He's perfect. He is impartial. And we know, we know, but one day he will bring everything in to judgment. I misjudge people. Somebody said, I don't judge. Well, I'm going to admit to you right now and to the whole world, I have judged and I probably said, well, I will judge. That person is an absolute blank. That's judging. We do it. Why? It's human nature. But you know, we misjudge. God is the only reputable judge. And he judges us he judges us according to his standard. And every time he judges us, it is to bring correction to us because he does not lie. He always tells the truth. He is a God of love. That means that God desires to deal with every evil and every sin. And here's the deal. If somebody does something to you, says something about you, hinders you, or creates angst for you in your heart, here's what you can do. You can get even. You can declare war. You can let that bother you. That can be in your mind. You can have bitterness. You can have evil. And you can give an excuse for all that. That way you're dealing with it. As long as you're doing that, God will not deal with it. But the minute you say, God, I am not doing that. I'm not dealing with it. I'm not letting it get in me. I'm not going to court it. I'm not going to flirt with it. God says then, as long as that's the way you are, then I will deal with it in a way that sees fit to me, and I'll bring peace to pass. Somebody say amen. amen. Sin, how's it dealt with? I had someone tell me a while back, they lost a family member, and they said, I know why I lost my family member. It's because I was in sin. I was sinning, and that's why I lost a family member. 
Let me tell you something. That is from the pit of hell. God does not do business that way. You listening to me? Because if God dealt with your sin by causing your family member to die, then there would no, be no need for Jesus to have hung on the cross to be able to forgive you of your sins. I'm telling you, you can get liberated from that thought right here and right now, my friend, and say, God, you know all things well, you do all things well, and I'm going to trust you in my life through that process. Here's what Romans says. Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Say that with me. The wages of sin is death. Let's read the balance. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin. When you sin, you earn a wage. Sin is expensive. It always costs you more than what you bargained for. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is what? Death. How's that dealt with? The wages. In other words, that which is earned. And Jesus said, every wage of sin that you earn, I have the ability to pay the debt. Wages. We had two of our grandsons, Nick and Ben, over Thursday. Sharon had some honeydews that she needed done. That's like spreading mulch. She said, you need to get the mulch. I got the mulch. I called two of the grandsons over. 25 bags of mulch. Last year, we got a dump truck and hauled a dump truck load of mulch in. And uh, they had mulch for every neighbor in the neighborhood. So we got 25 bags of mulch, and I gave them the direction and encouragement of how it needed to be spread. And uh, so they're spreading the mulch. And then we had some other things that needed to be done. I told them before we ever got started, about 6 o'clock, you guys want to go to Chick-fil-A? Have you eaten? Oh, we love Chick-fil-A. We, we went to Chick-fil-A, and Chick-fil-A is not inexpensive. And, uh, and, and uh, so they ate, and while they're eating, and I... I paid the bill, of course, uh, and and I, I said, "Boy, you guys, um, you know, you enjoying that? Yeah, we've already we already ate dinner." <laughs> uh, what you're trying to tell me is I brought you down to Chick Fil A and I spent this bundle of money so you could eat twice. Yeah, Granddad, we're never going to turn down Chick Fil A. We love their waffle fries. We love their chicken sandwiches. We love their four-count chicken minis. Well, <laughs> you do. I'm so glad to be able to do it. See, I never say too much to them because here's the deal. They always go report me <laughs> to Sharon. So anyway, we do. It's dark. They can't see even how to spread mulch anymore. It felt really good to work them till dark. It's dark and we came inside and it's time to pay them. And so I pulled out the money to pay them. Sharon was somewhere in the house. She heard me mention payment. It drew her like a magnet. <laughs> she walked around to where I was paying them, stretched her neck. How much did he give you? I thought, woman, get out of here. This is a man thing. 
How much did they give you? In other words, she was afraid. I checked. I checked the CPI. I checked what the average wage was in Polk County. I checked to see what cost of living, of course. I checked to understand what it was, just straight payment, no taxes, all of that. And so I gave them, they were there two hours, I gave them $30 an hour. How many like a little work this afternoon? <laughs> Why did I do that? Was it because I thought that I should have done it? No. Was it because I knew when they left that Sharon would ask? You know Ben is going to the University of Florida this coming year. You know that Nick is in Rangers. You know that they have projects that they need money for. You know that you can call them. I know, but woman, my Lord, have mercy. 30, 30, it, it was unbelievable. When they left, she said, like Schindler's List, you should have given them more. <laughs> wages, wages. So they came back yesterday morning. They were an hour late. They wanted to go to Chick-fil-A. They had already eaten breakfast. <laughs> 25 bags of mulch cost a matter of fact, as I add it up now, I'm going to have to go home right now. She said, I've got the money to pay them. What that meant was you can't handle the job to pay the boys well. So I'll pay them, of which she did. How many of you, by raised hand, live feed around the world, believe that they were adequately paid? Raise your hand. Sharon is not looking. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm telling you, boys, you can't win. So here it is now. Every sin has to have a wage. Every sin has a wage to attach. May I ask you a question? Why does the majority of our culture not openly receive Jesus Christ? to pay for their sin. Why is it hard for people to say, Jesus Christ, you're my Lord? Why is it with hard, hard for professing Christians to follow him in a life of holiness and saying, God, you truly are first? You see, my biggest problem is not financial or relational. My biggest problem is your biggest problem. It's you're at war with God. 
that carnal nature of yours always wars with the spirit man that's there. And if you're trying to live right, it does it every single day. Every time you turn around, it's God. God, I know what you is right. I know what I should do. I know what I know what I, I, I know what you would expect of me, but I want to do this. God, I know I ought to do devotions, but I'm busy. God, you know I ought to show up church, but I got other things. God, you know I ought to be witnesses, but I'm afraid. Why is it that often we say, God, move out of the way and let me dry for a little while? And God says, every time you drive, you mess up. If you let me do the driving, I'll save you a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. Salvation is costly. You see, it cost God who sent his son. God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and satisfy God's anger against us. And when we are made right with God, when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us, how do you become right for God? How do you become right? Jesus Christ, come into my heart. God allowed you to settle out of court. Do you know what that means? You don't go to a jury trial. You just get together with a prosecuting attorney and the defense, and you say, here's what we're willing to agree to in order to settle out of court to keep it from a jury or a judge. And you settle. This is what Jesus said. I don't want you to have to face the judgment of eternity. Let me settle for you. Because the next time you see me, I won't come as a crucified Savior. I will come as a judge to judge the works of the redeemed and to judge those who have not redeemed. And I've already told you what the rewards and the penalties are when I return as a judge. And he says, come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden. Paul writes in Galatians 3, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. And when he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. So what should I do? Turn from my sin. Turn away from it. Jesus has saved you. Don't dabble in that. Don't keep doing the same thing your old stubborn self keeps doing. Make your mind up to let him be Lord. Romans 3.22, we are made right in God's sight when we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. But here's what the Bible says. Now, follow me carefully, Hebrews 10. But if we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for our sins is left for us. All right, let me pause. That has a two, two purpose. One, a person who has been exposed to the truth of the gospel. That's why we believe in missionaries. Get the gospel in there so at least they have an opportunity to hear once. But once you have heard and you don't accept him, there is nothing else that you can do to get redemption. It has to come through Jesus Christ. Amen. And here's the other reason. You as a redeemed person, you sin, and you keep sinning, 
and you keep sinning over and over and over and over and over again, here's what it says. You're not Lord any longer. I've taken back control of my life. And I want to live the way that I want to live by my rules. And here's what he says. As long as that is your rebellious spirit, rebellion as the same as witchcraft, there is no hope. And then finally, you can commit the same sin over and over and over again. You will. Some of you are addicted to something. And you repeat it and you tell God, no more, not again, but you do. If your heart is sincere, God will fasten his seatbelt with you. If you continually approach him out of a heart of God, I need, I am desperate. And you keep asking him, let me tell you his forgiveness is broad enough to forgive you. But don't expect him to give you and me cheap grace. What does that mean? I'll keep doing it over and over and over again because I know I'm forgiven. That is arrogancy and that is sinful and God will deal with you with that kind of spirit. If you're addicted, ask God to forgive you. Come out and tell someone and let that someone that you know, love, and trust help you to get the kind of help that you need to bring you through the challenge. I need to live a life of gratitude. I need to serve God. I need to say, God, thank you for what you have done. That old song we used to sing, look what the Lord has done. Now I can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship that I have in the Lord. I want to tell. And then when I'm tempted, here's another. I need to remember what my sin cost Jesus. What did my sin cost? It cost Jesus his life. So when you get ready to turn your temper out, remember what it cost Jesus. When you get ready to curse somebody out again, hopefully you don't, remember what sin cost Jesus. You get ready to be moody again and unforgiving, remember what sin cost Jesus. You get ready to have it your way, remember what sin cost Jesus. You know what it looks like? It looks like a dictator gassing a small infant baby, but it's not, that's not the nth degree of it. It opens a little bit so you can see into hell. But if you look on the cross and you see a man who was innocent, that he was torn and beaten to no one could understand or recognize his face, then that is the beginning of how nasty sin is. How nasty. The Bible says God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb. And so wrapping it up, here's number four. I need to tell others what Jesus has done for me. Would you stand? I need to tell others what Jesus has done. God, you saved me, and you redeemed me, and you love me. May I ask you a question? What do you think is in you that causes Jesus to love you like he does? What do you have to offer him? You have nothing. 
Why would someone die not having the assurance they're going to get a result? But Jesus did. If only you had asked Jesus to forgive you of just one, he would have done it all over again. Because that's the love of God. Can I encourage you? Listen to this message. Let it resonate in your heart. Easter is next week. How many people do you know that's not in step with Jesus? How many people are playing religion? How many people do you know just pass off an invite to church? You're their lifeline. They may only get one, and that's you. Mom and dad, grandparents, get your grandkids. Get them in church next week. God's going to move in the power of his anointing. He's moving here right now. How wonderful God is. Let's just bow our heads. Let's just ask God. Let's repeat this prayer. Would you do that? Dear Jesus, forgive me. I have sinned. I've misbehaved. I've lived my own life the way I am pleased. So I ask you now, forgive me of my sins. Create in my life a pure mind and a pure heart. Lord Jesus, take all the things that I have crowded into my life and move them out. Give me grace and mercy that I can overcome and be a conqueror through my faith in my Savior, Jesus Christ. You are the Lord of my life, and I worship you and only you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is good. So here we are looking out. If you prayed that prayer, this is bold. You prayed that prayer and you meant it. And because you prayed it, you feel better in your heart. I want you to just raise your hand and say, I prayed it and I feel better. I feel cleaner by the presence of the Lord. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you need prayer, this is it. James 5, 14. Any sick among you? You need to stand in for someone? You have, you have the urge to say, and the Holy Spirit will speak to you. You see, I'm not just speaking. It, the Holy Spirit is speaking. It said, in a whisper, you need to slip down and be prayed for. Well, pray tell. What would keep you back? Yourself and pride and fear. But you can overcome that. There's no better place to overcome it than right here, right now. Tell the devil, no longer do you have a hold on me. I'm behaving the way God wants me to do. As we sing, you come and respond accordingly. Would you do that?